Kings 13, starting with verse 14, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. Now, I say shoot a lot, but, you know, it's just like out of frustration. He said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And from this text, from this reading, I would like to preach a message entitled, Say No to the Status Quo. Say No to the status quo. Can you say that with me? Say no to the status quo. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you so much for your presence that has been in this house. We are honored and privileged to have enjoyed that presence of yours, Lord. But I ask, Lord, that you would just continue to flow in this place and speak to our hearts. I pray the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And we give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Say no to the status quo. Status quo comes from the Latin and means the state in which, as in the state in which things have always been. In other words, things have always been this way. Things have always been in this state or condition. It speaks of an unaltered condition, our vernacular puts it like this. It's just the way things are. It's just the way it is. In 1933, Dane turned Norwegian Askel Sandermos wrote a book entitled A Fugitive Crosses His Tracks. He became a finalist for a Nobel Prize from this work of literature. His impact on Norwegian culture cannot be overestimated. Sandermos promoted ten basic laws called Jantaloven or Hantaloven or Hantalaw. And they are as follows. You're not to think you are anything special. You're not to think you are as good as we are. You're not to think you are smarter than we are. And he goes on with seven more of these and the bottom line of what Sander, of what Sandermos was promoting was averageness. Your aspirations were not to become above average. His philosophy is prevalent in Norway. As a matter of fact, you can only name your baby names, Lizzie and Brendan, you can only name your baby names that are found on the government 
approved list of baby names because they don't want you to stand out. They don't want your aspirations to go too high. According to Sandramos, average is morally superior to greatness. The Sandramos doctrine encourages the status quo. Everybody say the status quo. In our reading, Joash was in a jam. He was the 12th king of Israel. And according to William F. Albright, he reigned from 801 to 786 BCE, 15, 16 years, somewhere in there. He was facing a ruthless enemy, the enemy of the ancient Assyrians or Syria. And what they would do is they would take a conquered people, a conquered nation, and they would disperse that population to other parts of their kingdom, to other places. And those people, those nations would lose their identity in this diaspora. They would lose their national identity and disappear into the sands of time. And Joash was terrified because the Assyrians were oppressing his people, Israel, and they were coming against them, and there was an imminent war on the horizon. And Joash saw Elisha the prophet as Israel's only hope of victory. And Elisha was sick, as the scripture said, with a sickness that would eventually kill him. He was close to death. And so in desperation, Joash went to visit Elisha and was mourning his soon departure, but was also seeking a Hail Mary solution to this looming Syrian problem. Now, he pleased Elisha when he walked in and greeted him by reciting the words to Elisha that Elisha has said to Elijah years before when he parted the earth. Elijah, that is. Joash greeted Elisha by saying, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Upon hearing Joash's statement, this is cool, that old sick prophet, the prophetic spirit began to stir in Elisha. And he told Joash, hey son, I want you to pick up that bow and arrow over there. And then Elisha, when he had done that, reaches out and touches the king's hands while he has his hands on those, that bow and arrow. And, and he said, I want you to open the window that's facing the east. That would be facing towards Syria and specifically towards Aphek, the place where Israel would soon engage the Syrians. Elisha commanded Joash then to shoot the arrow out of that window in the direction of Syria. Now, the arrow, when he shot it, did not hit any Assyrians. It did not hit enemy of the, any of the enemy that was threatening King Joash and Israel. It hit no Syrians, but he shot it anyway out of that window. It, it did not eliminate the Syrian oppression or their threat. It didn't seem to make any kind of difference at all. But that was a symbolic act. It was making a prophetic statement. Elisha, when that arrow went forth out of that window, raised his voice. Again, the prophetic was moving on him. And he said to Joash, 
the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria. You must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have utterly destroyed them. Now, that was some welcome news for this nervous king. That was some some welcome news, some good news, some great news. And, And here's the reason why. Joash was the king of Israel. Israel, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The kingdom established on the worship of the one true and living God, Yahweh. And yet, Joash... The king of Israel was a card-carrying member and lead worshiper of the bull cults. The bull cults. In other words, he worshipped the golden calves that were set up years before by Jeroboam at Dan and Bethel. So here is the king of Israel who is a worshiper of golden calves. And he runs to the prophet when he's scared. And the prophet doesn't say, you nasty old king, you cow-worshiping wacko. I'm going to send the Syrians in to march your hide off into captivity right now. No. He gets a prophetic word. Shoot that arrow in that direction. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. I'm going to bring you a great victory, Joash. That was good news. It's shocking to me that that Joash worshipped the cow god and, and, and also acknowledged Jehovah and even revered the prophet Elisha. The name Joash means Jehovah has given. Jehovah has given. So he has this nostalgia and this respect for his religious heritage, but on a personal or perhaps a professional or worse than that, a political level, he saw it as necessary to be connected to the worship of the golden calves, which was representative of the the religion of convenience of his day. It was the cool church of his day. I don't understand how golden cows are cool or golden calves are hip, but the golden calves of his day were the cool church. They were the church du jour, the religious cause celeb. And so Joash has this divided heart, this this dual allegiance which which makes life so difficult. When you try to serve God and you you try to live uh, any old way you want to live, it makes living life so hard. Can I get an amen? Some of you have tried to do that before. I've tried to do that before. Man, it makes life so difficult. Here he is trying to serve God and trying to serve false gods as well. And it's interesting because he's the king of Israel. I mean, Moses came out of Israel Uh, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. The first of the Ten Commandments said, you shall have no other gods before me. The second one said, you shall not make unto yourself any idols or graven images. 
this Shema of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and 5 said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. But Joash was trying to have it both ways, right? He was worshiping these golden calves and Jehovah. And check this out. When he got in trouble, Joash did not run to the cow priests, the cowboys. I don't know. You know, I don't know what they were. I don't know if they wore chaps and hats and whatever, you know, western shirts and wranglers. I don't know what they were, but he didn't run to the cow priests of his day. They were shallow. They were powerless. He didn't go to these idol-worshiping preachers with their shiny gold stuff and and, and, and he didn't go to them. He ran to Elisha, that old coot who was walking the straight and narrow. I'm just going to say this. This is Lanyap here in Louisiana. This is a little extra. There are some people who do not want to walk the straight and narrow. There are some people who do not want to go to a church where the straight and narrow of life, that way of life is encouraged and celebrated. But you know what? When they get in trouble, when they get cancer, when their marriage starts to crumble, when their kids going nuts, they know that old shallow stuff they they go to week in and week week out doesn't cut it, and they'll go straight back to the old that old coot fogey bunch of straight and narrow folks. Do you know what I'm saying? And they'll ask that church to pray where the, where the prophetic flows and where you feel the presence of God. They'll take their problems to that church or their kids to that camp. And, and, and it's, it, it's, it's crazy, but they know that there's some, there's some answers in that house. There's some, there's some healing in that house. There's some power in that house. And it sounds crazy or counterintuitive. But they won't go to a church like that on a regular basis because for whatever reason, maybe, you know, they think they're smarter than all of that, cooler than all of that. There's some reason why they, they won't go there, but, but they'll go there when they're in trouble. Now, that pretty much describes Joash in a nutshell. I love this. I love this next thing. God was so kind and so merciful that in spite of Joash's foolishness, God was ready and willing to help. Right then, right there. And the spirit of prophecy was moving all over that sick old prophet. And Elisha told Joash, take some more arrows, son. And strike the ground. Now, I heard this story growing up and, and, and reading the Bible and stuff. And I thought that it, what, what he meant was, was you take those arrows and you hit the ground. Strike the ground. Boom, boom, boom. Strike the ground. But, but, but more than likely what he was saying was, I want you to shoot more arrows. Because he, he shot the arrow. It flew through the air and hit the ground. It struck the ground. And so it, it was not, I want you to take some more arrows and, and strike the ground, but I want you to shoot more arrows out of that window in the direction of Syria. Now, he had already made 
a, a prophetic statement. He had stated a prophetic reality. It's this, an arrow shot equals victory for Israel. Had he not shot that first arrow, Elisha wouldn't have made that statement. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. The deliverance from Syria. So he had made this prophetic statement. An arrow shot is a victory for Israel. An arrow not shot is a defeat for Israel. In other words, however many times you want to win against Syria will be determined by however many arrows you shoot. Are you with me? A little Bible study here from 2 Kings 13. Apparently, Joash had at least five or six more arrows in his quiver. But for some reason, he chose to only shoot three more. In other words, Joash was content to leave a little victory on the table. Joash was content to live with a certain amount of defeat. This was his moment. This was his opportunity to step out of the ordinary. This was his opportunity to say no to the status quo. And he missed his moment. Many years ago, Valerie and I and our kids moved to Maryland and we started a church up there. We're hardcore church planters. Sometimes when I talk about starting churches to Catholic folks here in Ascension Parish in South Louisiana, they look at me a little cockeyed, you know? And I, I, I make sure they understand Jesus started the church. I did not start the church, but I helped establish a local congregation. Just to clarify sometimes, we didn't start the church. Jesus did. But we went out and taught Bible studies, and told people about Jesus, and helped establish a local church, a local congregation. And years ago, we moved to Maryland, 1,200 miles from home, and we started a church. And, and we had support. It wasn't just us. We had a team. Not as many outside as there should have been, but we had a team outside of Maryland that was supporting us, giving us money, praying for us, checking up on us. And one time we were invited to a particular church because they wanted to help us financially. They were having a VBS. What? So are we. They were having a VBS, and they decided to do a fundraiser in their VBS. And their fundraiser was to raise money. Their, their VBS was about missions, and they wanted to raise money for a home missionary, a North American missionary, a church planner in America. And they invited us to participate in their VBS program and to be their on-site example. Here is what a church planner looks like. These are church planners. We're raising money for them. And they had all kind of fundraisers before we even got there. We were so grateful. We were broke as Job's turkey, man. Like, if you ever, you know, listen, if you complain about us taking offerings and talk about money and stuff, like, you go start a church and we'll see how often you talk about money. It's expensive, man. I mean, it ain't cheap. It takes a lot. And we were broke, and we were struggling. We were grateful for this opportunity. And so they had a wind 
a tunnel, a wind machine, like one of these booths that blows inside the booth, and they filled it with money. And most of them were ones, but there were ones, fives, tens, twenties, and there were some hundreds, Jeffs, Jeff, Jeffs. (laughs) I get excited talking about it. There were some hundreds, and they put me in this monkey suit, this, 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 this jumpsuit that, and they said, we want you to get in, in the money machine, home missionary. And whatever you get, you get to keep. I'm starving, you know, like I got bills to pay. I got a family. I got, I got, I got, I got a, a high school auditorium I'm renting. This costing me $1,200 a month. And this is 16, 17, I don't know what, years ago. I mean, I'm just, oh, I'm desperate. So they put me in that suit, and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is kind of cruel, you know, like tons of ones and just a few hundreds, you know, like. I'm like, Lord Jesus, you know, like, help me, God, like whatever. Make these hands a magnet. Let, let these be your hands. Let these be your feet, God. I catch it with my mouth, Lord, like. And I'm t- and they they're like oh the kids are like yay you know all excited hundreds of kids man they're all excited and they hit that switch Adam and that machine starts <laughs> money's going everywhere and you never saw anybody look like a fool like I did that day I'm telling you it was uncanny I I was just like stuffing all I can I put it in this box and, and shoving it out and I'm I'm grabbing everything I can I'm just I'm Desperate, right? This is my moment. Seize the day. And they're laughing and laughing and pointing and giggling. And it's all serious to me. I'm like, in Jesus' name. You know, in Jesus' name. I'm heading out the tail, you know, like, you caused me to prosper, you know, like, dodge. I mean, I'm like, quoting, I'm just trying so hard. And I finally, you know, I had like three minutes. And like, when the three minutes was up, Jeff, I get out of the booth, and I'm exhausted. You know, I'm sweating. I'm like, wow. Oh, I don't know. I wonder what I got, you know. And I get out, and, and they hand me all these bills. And they're all ones. They're all ones. There's no fives. There's no tens. There's no twenties. There's no hundreds. They're all the devil got in that booth. You hear what I'm saying? The devil got the love of money is the root of all evil, I guess. I I, I and I, I got all these ones and my heart sank. I, I was I was like, oh, that was Jesus. That was my opportunity to pay the bill. I can't believe you did this to me. I was just. And then they came up and they saw this look of disappointment on my face, and the lady in charge said, "Oh, hey, listen, don't don't feel bad. That's all yours anyway. That was part of your offering. We this was just for entertainment." And then I'm offended. I'm like, are you kidding me? I take my job seriously. And you got me in there like a, like a monkey in a cage going crazy, praying on my desperation. And I'm going nuts trying to get, and they're like, it's, oh, it's all yours anyway. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm like, wow. But I want you to know if anybody was saying no to the status quo that day, it was old D.H. right here. 
I dropped my pride. I said, I'm willing to go absolutely crazy to get all of this money because I need this money. I've got some enemies I've got to conquer. I've got some victories I've got to win. And, and when Elisha saw that, that Joash was just kind of half-hearted, which kind of describes his life in general, and, and just kind of shot three, three arrows and then stopped, that old sick prophet got angry. He got, he got mad. Like, are you kidding me? Only three times? You only want three victories? You could have utterly destroyed the Assyrians, but now you'll just win a few battles, but you're going to lose the war. Joash was a poster child for the status quo. I mean, three sounded like a good, conservative, safe number to him. He didn't want to go overboard or anything like that, and so he just stopped short. Now, here's the thing that's amazing to me about this. The, the status quo of Israel looked like this. He was the 12th king, the 12th king, and, 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 and the, the previous 11 kings of Israel, it says this about them in the Bible, each one of them, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. He, the status quo for kings in Israel that day was, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And now, because of the grace and mercy of God extended to Joash, he has an opportunity to say no to the status quo and say, unlike my 12 predecessors who were half-hearted, unlike my 12 predecessors who comprised the club of the status quo, I'm going to seize this moment. I've got this one moment. This old sick prophet that I revere has come alive and the spirit of prophecy is moving on him and I have an opportunity to utterly defeat this enemy that's coming against me and my kingdom. I can change the rest of history. He could have changed history, but he chose not to. And the seven kings that followed him, there were 19 total, it says of them as well that they did evil in the sight of the Lord as well. Isn't that crazy? He had his moment, and it wasn't a setup like mine was in the money booth. This was a real moment to send a message, to grasp in faith a whole of a prophetic victory that was waiting for him. And let me bring this home. Let me give some practical application. There's some victories for some people in this house today that are prophetic, and they're just waiting right there on you. But you are going to have to make a move out of the status quo. I don't care what your family did in the past. I don't care what those around you are doing right now. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. This is your chance to break away from the status quo and change history today. Come on, give the Lord some praise right now. Can you do it? The devil wants you to settle for the status quo. The devil loves the average and the mediocre and the normal Christians like that old philosopher out of Norway, just normal, average people. I'm wanting to challenge you today to say no to the status quo. Somebody say no. I want you to say it louder. No. 
because we're going somewhere, folks. We've got a world to turn upside down, and it's going to take above average commitment. It's going to take above average Christians. It's going to take above average ministry and the status quo. It's not that we're better than everybody else, but it's that we've said no, no to the status quo. We've had massive exposure to the status quo in our lifetimes, especially here in North America. Mediocre commitment, mediocre Christians, mediocre ministries, mediocre prayer, mediocre worship, mediocre commitment, mediocre Sunday experiences, mediocre Wednesday experiences, mediocre children's ministries, mediocre youth ministries. And it's so easy for us to lower our expectations to the status quo. But I'm praying for this church to catch on fire and become mobilized. An army of soul winners who don't just go to church, but who are the church when they walk out of those doors right there day in and day out. Not just here on a stage or there in a pew, but on the street and on the job and in their home and wherever you walk. Hallelujah. People who are bold as lions and on fire for God. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Watchman Nee said, By the time the average Christian gets his temperature up to normal, everybody thinks he has a fever. It's because we've settled for the status quo. I need an army of volunteers. I need some folks to step out of the shadows and determine I'm going to do church like never before. I'm going to live it like never before. I'm going to give like never before. I'm going to get involved like never before. I'm going to pray and worship and love God and get my hands dirty and put on my mud boots like never before. Uh, It might get messy, but that's all right. I'm going to give God everything I've got like never before. I'm going to step out of the status quo and I'm going to serve this generation And I'm going to serve my Savior. I'm going to give Him everything I have. Because folks, either it's real or it ain't real. If it ain't real, we need to shut the doors and and go do something else. But if it is real, it demands everything that we have. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. There's only one God. You'll have no other gods before me. Joash had a moment to prove I'm putting you first and I'm putting those stupid bull cults behind me. I'm going to put you first, Lord. And the Lord said, I'll defeat every enemy that stands before you, Joash. I'm telling you, God looks at us and he doesn't say, based on your sorry past and performance, I'm not going to give you victory. But he says, in spite of, of your past performance. I'll give you victory. I'll give you an opportunity. You've turned to me. He gets excited. He gets he gets pumped. I mean, is that wrong to say about God? I don't know. It's like he gets excited and like they've turned. They're wanting my help. J- Jesus spoke of the love of the Father like this. He said, which of you, you have a son If that son is hungry and says, give me bread, will you give him a stone? Right? How much more does your heavenly father love you? Uh, If if my own sons, no matter 
what they do, no matter how they behave, no matter how they treat me, no matter what wrong they may do to me, if they came to dad and said, dad, I'm hungry, I'm not going to trick them and mess with their mind like the money booth, right? I'm going to feed them because I love them no matter what. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for us, gave himself for us. He's not looking at our past performance, but he is looking at our future. And we may be facing some giants. We talk about deathbed conversions and people that only go to church when they're in trouble and they only serve God when they're in trouble. Hey, it's a reality. It happens. You may, you may know somebody like that. They get in trouble, man. They come running. But when the solution presents itself, they, they jet. They're going to go their way and go back to the, the bull cults and whatever. But, but in spite of that, in spite of that, the, no matter how they've been in the past, when they turn, when you turn to him, he's like, I can help that. I can fix your future. We, we're not going to undo your past. I'm just going to wipe it out as if it never existed. And I'll give you that victory you're after. I'll give you that. I'm telling you, I serve a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and 27th and a thousandth and 9,000 and 20 million chances. A God that if you'll just turn to him, you just turn back, he's right there. That old sick, almost dead prophet, the spirit of the Lord began to move on him. I got a word for you, son. I'll give you a complete victory if you want it. But Joash missed his opportunity to say no to the status quo. Now, these things were written as an example to us. I'm going to tell you, you have an opportunity today to say no to the status quo. And just like Joash, it will affect generations after you. I'm going to say something in conclusion here that's so powerful. Please listen to this. I think the main reason Joash did not want to turn from the bull cults, from the worship of the golden calves, was because had he done so, he would have aligned himself with his long-lost brother nation of Judah. There was a divided kingdom. The 12 tribes had split. Judah and Benjamin were in the south. The 10 tribes were in the north. The 10 tribes under the direction of Rehoboam had begun to worship those golden calves. The southern tribes did not do that. They stayed true for the most part. And had he made that decision to forsake the golden calves, then he would have had to forgive his brother. And he would have chosen, he chose rather to stay with the idolatry and keep the hatred in his heart and the division in those people rather than to humble himself and say, I'll serve the true and living God and I'll forgive my brothers and we will cease hostilities. There had been a civil war. And I think, Part of his refusal to turn was his refusal to forgive. I'm not a counselor. My wife is. I've counseled some people. I've talked to people. She's counseled lots of people. But 
I'm not a professional at that, but I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I'm going to tell you something. Bottom line is so much stuff that people deal with is unforgiveness. If he would have just forgiven, he could have said no to that idolatry. But instead, he passed it on. And every king that came after him, there was not one good king in all of Israel. Nineteen of them. All of them bad. He could have been the one that changed everything. But he didn't say no to the status quo. Stand with me right now. Sometimes when you sell out and you give God everything you have and and I'm recruiting today an army to do so, it, it does get messy. And if we are to mobilize like I know God wants us to mobilize this congregation, uh, I'm just talking to you from my heart, but I know God wants to mobilize this congregation like never before. And uh, we're too stuck on coming to this building, having a good time, and leaving this building. And the Lord is trying to transition us into coming in this building and having a good time and then going out of this building and doing what God's called us to do, being salt and light and witnesses and ministering to people, not bringing them to Donovan to minister to them, you ministering to them right where they are, right there in the workspace, right there in the cubicle, right there in the plant, you ministering to them, you praying for them, you leading them, inviting them to church, teaching them a Bible study. It's not all about what goes on here on Sundays or Wednesdays or our special events. as Those are important, but it's going out. And as if we're to mobilize like we're supposed to, it's, it's, it's going to get messy because this house is going to get fuller and fuller and fuller. We're already looking at options and alternatives and things to do to accommodate. We're going to get people in here who don't believe like you and don't believe like me and live lives that are messy and full of sin, messed up. We'll have to cross bridges we didn't even know we had to cross, cross rivers we didn't even know existed, dealing with broken people, hurting people. We cut our teeth on that, Life Point, And I don't want us to forget it. It'll get a little messy, a little, get a little dirty. But it's the will of God because Jesus is coming and he's coming back for people and there's people that he's coming back for that they're not ready yet. They never heard. And it's going to be your voice and your witness. It's going to be you you that makes the difference in their lives. Don't be content to shoot the attendance only arrow at life point. Don't be content to shoot the I lift my hands only arrow at life point don't be content to shoot the i put a little money in the offering or give online arrow at life point i I want you to not be content with the status quo i mean like stretch a little bit have some initiative proverbs 14 4 says where no oxen are the trough is clean you know what that says right You, you understand what that's saying when you don't have a When you don't have an ox in the barn, the barn is clean. 
because oxen, right, make barns dirty in numerous ways. But then the wise man goes on and says, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. In other words, it's worth the, the dirt and the junk because there's productivity that takes place. And, and, and everybody that's going to be on our team, they're not in this building yet. And they're going to come in with problems and they're going to come in with dirt and muck and mire. But that's okay because there's strength in a growing church and there's strength in numbers and God's going to use them to reach somebody else and it's going to become an exponential thing. But it's going to start with some Joe Ashes in this house today saying, I'm going to just say no to the status quo. From now on, it's going to be different. I'm going to love God more than I've ever loved Him. I'm going to get involved more than I've ever been involved. I'm not going to be a classical Pentecostal church pew sitter. I am not just going to be a, 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 a person, a parishioner that walks in the door and says a few little prayers, stands up and goes down and walks out the door and leaves the rest of the work to the, to the clergy, to the men of the cloth. I'm telling you, it's going to take us all, and it is a challenge from the Holy Ghost today. Will you stay no to the status quo? Would you bow your head with me right now? Close your eyes. Father, I thank you for your goodness, God. We have an opportunity to affect generations behind us. Father, we have an opportunity to make this summer a summer that has no slump. We have an opportunity, Lord, to to never back down where we used to back off, Lord, to, to, never, to, to never get out of the fight, to never compromise and, and walk in unforgiveness, God, and for whatever reason that's held us back, we have an opportunity to shake that. There's a prophetic word in the house today. I can break that bondage that's held me in the status quo. There's a prophetic word in the house that's giving me an opportunity to step into a new season to step into a new day, to step into a, a new walk as a Christian, a Christ follower, a man of God, a woman of God. It's an opportunity to be a, a man of God. My wife has never seen me be or a woman of God. My husband's never seen me be a, a couple that's living for Jesus the way our children never thought we would. An opportunity to influence generations behind us. We don't want to be content with the status quo we don't want to have names that are restricted where the devil says, you can only do this, but no more. Father, we want that abundant life in Christ that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Hallelujah. And your grace has made it all available.